Amen. Well, if you've hung around with Gary enough, Gary uses this, uh, this little phrase when he's talking about building partnerships in the community and meeting up with people, and he uh, uses this phrase, you know, I wonder if they want to party with us at Deer Creek. And I just love that. I love that. That's uh, the vision casting. And Gary, I, I mean this uh, as a pastor here, as someone who was a member here before I was on staff. Just, it's fun partying with you, man. I'm grateful. I'm <laughs> in the sense of doing missions here and getting to uh, talk about Jesus with people here. So I'm very grateful for everything you do. Grateful for, for Gary, for all of our missions partners. We've uh, gotten to highlight a few of them in this season, uh, our 2018 missions emphasis. If you grabbed a bulletin on your way in, you'll see in there that there is a missions uh, budget b- summary, a breakdown of how we believe as a church that God is calling us to support missionaries and mission partners locally, regionally, globally in the upcoming year. Uh, if you have that, go and pull that out. I would love to just walk through that briefly. And uh, you'll see there's four main categories that we are looking to build on in this upcoming year. Uh, one of them is church planning. We want to be a church that is about planting churches, seeing new communities form, seeing new people come together, gather together, worship Jesus, and then starting new churches themselves. Uh, evangelism, discipleship, telling people about Jesus, telling people about the love of God for them, and then seeing people go deeper in their faith. Mercy ministry is the third category, and that's, that's meeting people with really practical needs, people who are hurting, uh, people who are struggling, and how do we come alongside men and women and families as part of that. And the last one is mobilization. How do we get our people more deeply connected? How do we build new partnerships with missions? And so that's our budget breakdown. Uh, we're con- we are contributing as a church $50,000 to this, to these goals out of our general fund. And we're also seeking to raise an additional 109000 as part of this. You'll see a missions pledge card in your bulletin. We wanted to give an update this morning on how we're doing with that and where we stand. So here we go. Here's our nice new graphic, our nice globe. We're sitting right there under $20,000. You can see that white line going across there. And that's a number. That, that is a number. It is a number greater than zero, uh, less than 109,000. And uh, the optimist in me uh, wants to say, we are doing a really great job with penguins right now. Y'all, we have the South Pole covered. We're doing an excellent job with penguins. Polar bears, Reindeer, not so much. And so this is an invitation, and it's a challenge for us as a community because this is worthwhile. This is absolutely worthwhile. We want to be a church that is reaching people locally and globally. We want to be about penguins and polar bears, right? And so there's an invitation. There's a pledge card you can fill out. Uh, It's in your bulletin. They're also at the back. You just drop that in those black buckets on your way out. Now, a beseechment from the missions team. I know that there are more people. This, This is the pledges that we have received so far. There are more people giving the missions than that. Uh, Please do fill out one of these pledge cards. This makes the work of the missions team a hundred, a thousand times easier. You'll make Tim Rinkless particularly happy because we use these cards to actually help budget and help communicate with our partners in the upcoming year. So thank you for those of you who are giving and take, take two minutes, fill out one of these cards and drop it off back there. Sound good? All right. Penguins, polar bears. Got it. Well, as we go into our time of teaching, let me, let me pray once again for us. God, thank you that you are, you are the God of the South Pole or the God of the North Pole. God, you are God of this world and of this universe. And we, we recognize uh, how utterly remarkable it is that you say that you are here with us now. Your word tells us where two or more are gathered in your name, Lord, there you are also. And we recognize that you are here, blessing our time, teaching us in this time right now. So Lord, we pray for the men, the women, the families here. We pray for our mission partners locally and, and globally. God, that you would deepen our knowledge of who you are and who you have called us to be. Lord, we pray for this thing of mission. As we hear from your word, Lord, challenge us where we need to be challenged, and Lord, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. 
and in all these things, help us to look to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in the third week of our mission series that we have titled Against All Odds. So I really hope that everyone's been working on their, their blackjack and their hold'em skills. No, that's, that's not what we've been talking about. We've actually been talking about how seemingly against all odds, against some really, really long odds, God used this fearful, fractured group of ordinary people called the early church, described in the book of Acts, how God somehow, way, used this group of nobodies from the middle of nowhere to accomplish this thing of mission, this idea of representing Jesus to the world, seemingly against all odds. Now, Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven, right before he sends his Holy Spirit to empower the disciples, these apostles, these sent ones, he gave them a mission. He said, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to represent me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the people of God started doing that. And so they started representing him as part of this mission. Now, that's the early church. That's what we're studying about. That's what we're reading about. As I've personally reflected on this, as I've even wrestled with this idea, okay, what, does, what is mission? What does mission look like? I have come to a conclusion uh, that, or maybe an insight is a better word, an insight about how I've approached mission most of my life. I view mission in very much the same way that I view the Olympics. Kind of a, it's kind of a weird analogy. Let me, let me unpack that. By the way, every pastor gets one Olympics uh, reference throughout this season, so this is my one. I'm cashing it in right here. But I have viewed missions in my life in much the same way that I viewed the Olympics because I love the idea of the Olympics. I love the idea that there are these extraordinary, exceptional, incredible individuals who are out there in the world doing incredible things. I mean, and let's be honest, extraordinary, gifted, kind of eccentric too. I mean, these are people who want to spend tens of thousands of hours developing their losing skills. Right? That's, that's not something that most of us would say, yeah, that's what I want to go do for a hobby but they're out there doing it. And that's great, good for them. And not only are they out there representing their homelands and their values and their beliefs, and they're out there competing on this international scale, they're doing it at a great personal cost. I mean, physical toll, relational toll, emotional toll, you can say uh, financial toll, the investment they're putting in this, good for them. I could never do that. <laughs> I could never do that. I'm not even sure I want to do that. I don't have that level of self-discipline. I don't have that level of drive. I, I don't bend that way. I'm not that strong. I'm not that coordinated. I don't have that much dexterity or strength. I couldn't do that. I could never be an Olympian. Maybe a curler. How is that? Hey, yeah, maybe a curler. People tell me I have the physique of, a, of an Olympi Olympic curler, so, you know. Yes. Yeah, maybe a curler. Maybe if it was Summer Olympics, trampoline. I'm pretty mean on the trampoline. But beyond that, man, I don't think I could be an Olympian. I don't even know if I would want to. The cost, the challenge, the difficulties, the investment required, that's for the best. That's for the boldest. That's for the brightest. And honestly, that's kind of for the eccentric. That's for people who really want to invest themselves wholeheartedly into this one thing. And you see what I'm getting at. Do you see the connection to missions? I have spent most of my life viewing missions in the exact same light. I mean, that's for the best. I mean, that's for the people who are really passionate about Jesus. That's for the people who have studied the most, who have traveled the most, who have read the most, written the most. That's for the experts. That's pro-level Christianity. Maybe even for the most eccentric, the people who don't have a mortgage, uh, people don't have 
kids, the, the people who are able to pick up and leave on a whim and scatter all over the world, that, that's for them. That's not for someone like me. In fact, a word I would use for me would be ordinary. Uh, kind of an average Joe. Kind of just a normal guy. Now, this isn't an Eeyore moment. I'm like, no, oh, woe is me. I'm so ordinary. That's not what I'm talking about. But the idea is that most of my life looks pretty ordinary. I wonder, does most of your life look fairly ordinary? Do you feel a little ordinary on Monday morning at 8.22 sitting in traffic on your way to work? Probably feels kind of ordinary. What about Tuesday at 5.14 p.m. in the checkout line at the grocery store at King Supers? Feels kind of ordinary. Thursday at 2.53 waiting in the parking lot to pick your kids up from school. Friday night rolls around and it's 8.30 and your big plans for the weekend are to go to bed. <laughs> Anyone relate to that? Yeah. Man, that feels kind of ordinary. What about at 11.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning in Littleton, Colorado at Deer Creek Church? It's just an ordinary Sunday. We're just ordinary people. We're average Joes and average Sally Sues. Missions is for people out there. That's for the bold. That's for the best. That's for the brightest. That's for maybe even the most eccentric. That's not for me. That's not what God does. And this series that we've been studying, and I, I hope that you're getting a theme here as, as we wind down this week. This is our final week of this series. I hope you're getting the theme that God delights in doing the unexpected. God delights in taking fearful people and making them bold. God delights in using division and fractures and conflict in a church and to actually bring unity out of that. And I wholeheartedly, I wholeheartedly believe that God delights in using ordinary people in ordinary circumstances, to do extraordinary things. Missions in the Olympics are not the same. <laughs> They're not the same. I believe that every single one of us has opportunities that God has given us to represent him in our ordinary average lives, in our ordinary average families, in our ordinary average jobs, in our ordinary average days, in our ordinary average church. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to look at a story of some ordinary believers. And this is, a, this is kind of a difficult, maybe even a challenging uh, situation that they're facing. Uh, this is kind of a worst-case scenario. I'll have it on the screen behind me here in just a moment. But uh, what the prelude to this, uh, to this passage is that it's a worst-case worst scenario for the early church. See, following Jesus has been kind of risky. It's been kind of... Uh, costly at this point, and now it's become dangerous. It's actually become deadly. Because in the chapter prior to this, Stephen, one of the leaders of the early church, a man who was doing righteous things and doing all the right things and loving and caring for people and talking about Jesus, representing Jesus, doing this thing of mission really well, he gets put to death. He gets stoned to death by the Sanhedrin, by the religious authorities, and they'd been threatening these Christians, they'd been threatening these people to stop talking about Jesus, and they kept doing it, so they put Stephen to death. That's worst case scenario. People are scared and people are struggling and this is what we see happen in Acts chapter eight. It says this, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But, uh, but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. It's a really bad situation. It's a really scary time. And you see that this great persecution has broken out. 
And in the midst of this great persecution, in the midst of this, re- I mean, this is tragedy. In the midst of this tragedy, we see some interesting things take place, some interesting happenstance. Re- even focus on verse one here for a moment. It says this, on that day, the great pers- persecution breaks out and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So who, who gets scattered? Well, it's everyone. It's all. It's men and it's women. It's people who've been following Jesus for a while, and it's people who are brand new to following Jesus. It's people with jobs. It's people without jobs. It's the young. It's the old. It's all. It's people who've seen miracles, maybe even some folks who, who haven't witnessed miracles personally. It's all except the apostles. That's, that's kind of weird. That's kind of strange. As I was reading through this, that doesn't make sense. Wouldn't they have been in the most danger? Wouldn't the early church leaders have been the ones most at risk of a great persecution? If people are getting put to death, if people are getting thrown in jail, then wouldn't they have been the most likely to leave? But they don't. It says everyone but them gets scattered. So why? I honestly don't know. I don't don't know 100% sure. This is actually something that's been debated, has been talked about by commentators and scholars and pastors for a long, long time. And there's really two main lines of reasoning around this. The first one is that the apostles were being super faithful and one says that they were being super unfaithful. The super faithful approach says, no, the apostles looked at this situation and we can't leave. Jesus called us to reach Jerusalem. He called us to be here. Yes, it's dangerous. Yes, this is the hottest section of the furnace, but this is where we are called to be. And everyone else needs to go, but you know what? If we're not here reaching the people of Jerusalem, then who else will be? That's I think that's actually a fair line of reasoning. Now, you can talk about how fearful the apostles were. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about the ways that they had failed in the past. And through God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we've seen them grow in boldness. We've seen they aren't the same leaders. They aren't the same fearful individuals they once were. They've grown through this process. So that's very possible. The other side, though, says, in fact, that this passage, what's recorded here, is an indictment against the apostles. They, they messed up. They've been doing it wrong. They've, they're doing what church leaders do all the time, and that's they're really only concerned about themselves and what's right in front of them. Because they were sent to Jerusalem, but they weren't sent just to Jerusalem, were they? In Acts 1, verse 8, we see Jesus, and this is him speaking to him. This is him sending out his apostles, which means sent ones, and he says this to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I am going to be with you. I am going to empower you, and you will be my witnesses You will represent me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Yes, Jerusalem, but so much more. And it's possible that the the apostles have gotten very comfortable there in Jerusalem, that they're feeling pretty satisfied with the mission and the work that they've been doing. The church is growing. It's exciting. Thousands of people are coming to faith. Miracles are happening. Why mess up a good thing? Well, that's not all that they were called to. And so God in his providence uses a tragedy, uses this terrible situation to actually send out others when the sent ones aren't going. Now, which, which perspective is right? I, I personally think a little bit of both. I, I do think the apostles are being faithful. I do think they're very passionate about representing Jesus. I think they're showing incredible boldness and I think that God against all odds, is using ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary mission of reaching the, of Judea and Samaria 
and the ends of the earth. Because that's the kind of God he is. He's a God who works against all odds. Now, as these individuals, as these men and women, as these families, as they are scattered to, the, to Judea and to Samaria, some remarkable things happen. Watch, watch what happens. It says, we see it highlighted here. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered, this is verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This isn't the prose. This isn't the, the best of the best. This isn't the exceptional ones, the most trained, the ones who'd been with Jesus the most. This is ordinary men, ordinary women, followers of Jesus, families enduring difficult circumstances. And as they went, they preached the word. Uh, they, they weren't handing out tracts. Those didn't exist. They weren't telling people, hey, you need to read this section in the New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. No, they were talking about Jesus. They were living like Jesus. In their words and their actions, they represented Jesus everywhere they went. And this is why this is significant. Because through these ordinary men and these ordinary women and these ordinary families and these ordinary situations, as they're buying new homes, as they're getting new jobs, as they're farming new land, as they're making new social connections, the word of God spread. What had once been a local movement, a Jerusalem movement, was now a regional movement. It was a national movement movement in Judea. It was an international movement in Samaria, reaching people of a different culture, different background. Ordinary people were sent out while the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Have you ever been in a situation where you have felt particularly ordinary? Have you ever been in a situation where maybe it's a golden opportunity? You know it in your heart. You know it in your soul. You know this is a golden opportunity for you to represent Jesus well to the people around you. This is a chance for you to tell people about your faith, to identify as a Christ follower. And the moment you get ready to do it, you, you kind of lock up. I don't really know enough. I, I'm, I'm not trained on this. I'm not a pro. I, what if I get it wrong? You know, what if I... What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? I'm too ordinary to go and do this. Or maybe a different situation. Maybe you have a loved one or a neighbor or a coworker who's going through a really difficult time, and this is a golden opportunity for you to represent Jesus and to tell them about the love of God in the midst of difficult circumstances, not just in the absence of difficulties, but in the midst of difficulties. But then you don't say anything because, yeah, I've got my own doubts and I've got my own concerns and I have my own things and my own challenges are going on. I'm not the best equipped. Let the pastors do that. Let the missionaries do that. Let the radio do it. Let, let these pros do it. Let these kind of eccentric people that are out there do that. Not me. Too ordinary. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had the chance to do something extraordinary with your faith and to represent Jesus in an extraordinary way but you felt simply too ordinary. Against all odds, the mission of God has advanced time and time and time again through ordinary people and ordinary churches doing ordinary jobs, living ordinary lives. God delights in doing those things. We see the march of the gospel through the known world through ordinary people. From Jerusalem to, Ju to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Through this scattering of people, God 
delights in using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. We even see this in later writings in the New Testament, how the apostles, the sent ones, those closest to Jesus, actually communicate with these people who have been scattered and communicate to them in the midst of these incredible things that they're doing. James 1.1 says this. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. By the way, that's a tough gig, being the half-brother of Jesus. What would your brother have to do to convince you he was the Messiah? Apparently die and come back from the dead because James didn't believe in Jesus, but after the resurrection, he did. He came to faith. So James was this incredible leader in the early church, and he writes this. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. To the 12 tribes, to the new Israel, to these followers of Jesus scattered, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you in your ordinary circumstances, in your ordinary jobs, in your ordinary lives, and you want to know something? I know it's going to be difficult. I know you're out there and you're facing challenges, and I know we're not with you, but I want to encourage you. He even goes on following this passage to talk about how in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, there's a call to rejoice. There's a call to rejoice because God is at work in your circumstances. That's a letter from James. Peter, hot-blooded Peter, one of the most outspoken amongst the disciples, amongst the apostles, he writes this, 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, to, to the ones that God loves, to the ones that God has chosen, to the ones that God has sent out. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. To you ordinary men and you ordinary women and you ordinary families who have been sent out, I am writing to you. And he does the same thing he says later on. He says, in the midst of trials, there's a call to rejoice. There's a call to rejoice and there's a call to trust and there's a call to do extraordinary things in your ordinary circumstances because God is with you. We are not with you, but God is with you. We worship a God who works against all odds. We worship a God who delights in taking fearful people and making them bold and taking fractured communities and uniting them together and using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That is the God that we worship. There's a missiologist, that's a thing, missiologist, someone, someone who has invested their life into studying mission, history of missions, local missions, you know, the advancement of mission, this representing of Jesus to the world. It's a missiologist named Ed Stetzer. And he has this really famous quote uh, among seminary circles, and maybe some of you have heard of him. He said this. He said, God did not give his church a mission. He gave his mission a church. Think about that. God did not say, hmm, I've got this gathering of people. I've got these families, these men, these women, these kids. Uh, what do I need them to do? Oh, here, go and do this thing. No, no, no. From the beginning, God said, I am going to use the church to accomplish my mission. And that mission is bringing people back into right relationship with God. That is what God is about. Back into right relationship with God and right relationship with others. God delights in using the church, ordinary churches like us, to do incredible things. And we think to ourselves, God, that doesn't sound like a great plan. There's way better people. We're, we're afraid. We're fractured. We're really, really ordinary. Surely, there's got to be a better plan than doing that. And God, from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, has said, no, this is how I will do it. 
This is how I will do it. I will take what looks like the wisdom of the world and I will make it look foolish compared to my plan. The foolishness of God is wiser than all the wisdom of the ages. And he says, I will use this messy, this fearful, this ordinary thing called the church and I am going to reshape the world. I'm gonna reshape people's relationship with God through this. My question for you, at 11.45 on a Sunday morning, an ordinary church service, an ordinary Deer Creek church is, what if your current circumstances are God's catalyst for mission? What if mission isn't something that's just for the best of the best and just the elite and just these people out there and just kind of the weirdos and yeah, we put them at the edge of society and they're the ones going. What if it is for us also? What if God is doing something right now in your life to accomplish his mission, to represent him faithfully, to represent him well? What if that coworker isn't just another person that you're a workplace proximity associate? They're, they're, what if they are someone who actually matters to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he has positioned you at this job to love them, <laughs> to be patient with them when no one else is, to not gossip about them when everyone else is. What if this is an opportunity for you to represent Jesus well? What about your families? What about your education, students, where you go to school? What if those current circumstances that feel so, so, so ordinary to us are in fact an opportunity to trust in God and to represent Jesus faithfully and truly? It doesn't feel like much. And you want to know what? That's exactly okay with God. He loves to work against all odds. What if God wanted to use ordinary Deer Creek Church to do incredible things? What if in our current circumstances as a church, he was doing incredible things? What if it wasn't about the leadership of Deer Creek Church, but it was actually the people of Deer Creek Church to accomplish and do these extraordinary things? Let me ask you a question. Imagine for a moment that you wake up tomorrow and all the leaders of Deer Creek are gone. Some of you, that's, you, know, you fantasize about that. That's okay. But imagine all the leaders of Deer Creek Church are gone. Does your mission change? No. No. We are still called to represent Jesus. And that is what those first followers of Jesus, those ordinary men and ordinary women of the first century discovered. That even without these leaders, even without these apostles guiding us, what we are doing remains the same. And against all odds, God will use us to make a difference. So what does this mean for our lives? I, I'm, I'm an ordinary guy. I wish I had something super pithy, really powerful to hit you with. Honestly, it's really cheesy. So as we translate this to our lives, this is the best I got, y'all. Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> it's simple, it's cheesy, and I can remember it. Which I need all the help I can get. Stop, drop, and roll. What in the world does that mean as we talk about mission, as we talk about representing Jesus? Stop comparing. Look, stop comparing. Stop comparing yourself to those folks that you consider to be elite. You consider to be the pros. You consider to be the greatest and the smartest and the most charismatic and the best looking. Stop comparing because you know what comparison does? It paralyzes you. Comparison paralyzes it stops you in your tracks and it makes you start thinking about all the things you don't have rather than the opportunities that are right in front of you, unique to you. 
comparison paralyzes us. Even the other side of comparison, well, hey, I may not be as smart or as good looking or as talented or as winsome or charming or you know, as available as these other people over here to accomplish mission, but man, I'm better than these people over here. Right, I'm smarter than them at least. At least I got that going on for me. At least I'm better than them. At least I'm more stable. At least I'm X, Y, and Z. Yeah, that paralyzes you. That makes you so consumed and so self-focused about how much better and superior you are to others. You're not thinking about the opportunity to represent Jesus right in front of you where you are. Stop comparing. If you want to represent Jesus well, stop comparing. I'm gonna throw in this next one. This is a fun one. Stop treating people like projects. Right? Stop trying to hijack conversations. Stop trying to hijack the workplace to, to somehow treat someone like a project to manipulate them or manipulate a conversation to, to make it about your faith in Jesus. And this is what I mean by that. If you're in the, at the water cooler and you're hanging out and someone comes up to you, hey, did you see the game last night? You know who doesn't play games? Jesus. Don't play games with your eternal salvation. You need to repent and believe. Don't do that. That's weird. And that's not the good kind of Christian weird. Like, that's the bad kind of weird. Don't treat the people around you like they're projects, like they're puzzles waiting to be solved. Don't do that. That doesn't honor Jesus. And I'm going to throw another one out there. Don't treat the workplace like your personal, like this time is when you're going to be challenging and, and attacking other people or preaching to other people. When you are hired to do a job, do it with excellence. And if you're too distracted having conversations and discussions and arguments with people about philosophy and religion, you're probably not doing a great job. I'm not saying there are never moments to talk about your faith. I think there absolutely are. There's probably more than we recognize and more than we embrace. And you honor Jesus when you don't treat people like projects. And you honor Jesus when you do your job with excellence. You don't need to hijack it. You don't need to hijack relationships. You don't need to go into conversations with people assuming that this is some puzzle that you need to figure out and how do I work this in? Get to know the people around you. Here's a hint, listen. Listen to them, hear their stories and make the assumption that they're not an idiot. They probably hold the beliefs they hold for a particular reason. Probably because of their circumstances, probably because of their own lives. Listen to them, engage with them, love them, be long-suffering with them, be patient with them. And after work, take them out for a beer or coffee, whatever, you know. Take them out. Do get to know people. Do invite people into your home. Represent Jesus well. Stop treating people like projects. So that's the stop, peace, drop. Drop and pray. I, I mean this in a, in a literal sense. Drop and pray. Pray at the beginning of the day. Pray at the end of the day. Get on your knees and pray for God to bless your circumstances. This is the stereotypical church application, and it's important. And it's stereotypical for a reason. Because this is so vitally important. When was the last time you spent more than a minute in prayer? God, I have these challenges. I have these circumstances. I have all these things going on. They're so overwhelming. Yeah, if you could help, that'd be great. Okay, back to figuring it out on my own. Literally, drop to your knees and pray. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, makes the point, and I think it's a fair one, that what we do with our bodies reflects on our spirit. And what we do with our spirit reflects in our bodies. And when you put yourself in a position, when you drop to your knees and pray, say, God, I don't know how to navigate these circumstances. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to reach these people. I don't even know how to make the most of my ordinary, average, everyday life. God, I need your help. I need you to open doors. That demonstration of trust is vital as we pursue mission.
as we represent Jesus. I long for us to be defined as a church that drops in praise. We want to pursue great things. We have this thing that we've been talking about called the REACH Initiative. Goals and plans. We would love in the next five years to plant two additional churches. God, let that be so. We would love in the next year or two to launch a Saturday night service here at Deer Creek. We would love, as Sterling Ranch, as tens of thousands of new families move in south of us, we would love to have a second site on the ground there. We would love to see men and women and children continue to come to faith in Jesus here. And you want to know how much of that we're going to accomplish because our staff, because our leadership is so clever, so wealthy, so insightful, so wise? Goose egg. Nothing. We will not accomplish that out of our own strength. Let us be a church that drops and prays. Prays for those things. Because you want to know what? Those goals are a long ways out. There's a lot of days. There's a lot of Sunday mornings at 1153 between here and there. Jesus said, apart from me, you will have no good thing. And that's true for the church. And that's true for pastors. And that's true for ordinary men and women and families and for all of us. Apart from Jesus, apart from prayer, we're not going to do anything. Stop, drop. Last one's this. Roll the dice. You're not going to hear too many sermon applications in your life where one of the points is roll the dice. (laughs) This is what I mean by that. Take a risk. Take a risk. Put yourself out there. Is following Jesus risky? Absolutely. And no. And that's the weird tension we live in as finite human beings worshiping a sovereign God. Because you want to know what? It is risky from our perspective. It's risky for you to roll the dice and invite your neighbors to church. It's risky for you to roll the dice and join a small group. Uh, Those might be awkward. What if I get rejected? What if things don't work out well? It is risky from our perspective. It's not risky from God's. God of the universe does not play dice. He's not sitting there, fingers crossed, hoping things turn out okay. No, he is at work even in the riskiest, the most awkward, the most uncomfortable of circumstances for us. And our identity is rock solid in him. What feels risky to us is not risky to God. Roll the dice. Take a chance. Put yourself out there. If you're, if you're here today, and maybe you're not sure what you believe about any of this stuff, you're not sure about anything about Christianity, I, I encourage you, try, try and roll the dice with us here at Deer Creek. Roll the dice. We have this thing called Growth Track starting up next week. Roll the dice. Show up. It's, it takes place during this service, during the 1045 service in the downstairs cafe. And we talk about this thing of reaching up our relationship with God and reaching in, doing relationship with one another and reaching out, being a blessing to the world because we've been so richly blessed by God. Roll the dice. Is there a chance we're going to disappoint you? That's a pretty good chance. That's worth it. Roll the dice. For many of us here as, as families, roll the dice on supporting our missions partners. Can I guarantee you that you're going to write a check or you're going to give money to these missions partners and you're going to see the next day these tangible results, a, you know, a quantified result of how you invested this money and what came out of that? No. I can't personally guarantee you it's going to happen exactly that way, the way we hope and dream and pray it will. It's risky. It's absolutely worth it. Roll the dice. Take a chance. Put yourself out there because it's not really a risk. It's really easy to gamble when you know you can't lose. God of the universe does not play dice. It's not risky for him. So as you think about 
your life. As you think about things you need to stop, what it looks like for you to drop and pray, what it looks like for you to maybe take a risk on people, on your jobs, on your neighbors, on a church, I want, I want us to end with this. It's a, it's a call, it's a reminder that God works against all odds. This is the Apostle Paul. We mentioned him very briefly. His name was Saul in the passage we read earlier. And he's writing to a church, very messy, very fractured, very fearful church called Corinth. And it's actually a few letters because it took them a few, took them many times to get it figured out. But Paul, who once persecuted the church, who once hated the church, who once arrested and helped arrest followers of Jesus, became a follower of Jesus against all odds. <laughs> against all odds, he's exactly the type of person that God wanted to use to represent him. And he writes this word, uh, writes these words. He says this, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Boast more in my ordinary, boast more in my opportunities, more in my circumstances, more when I don't feel like I have it particularly together, when I don't feel like the best or the brightest or the boldest. I don't feel like enough. I will boast in Christ's power because his power rests on me. And he says this, this is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. The God of the universe who took on flesh, ordinary human flesh, was born into a manger, lived an ordinary, average life for many, many years, who died a cruel death on a cross, conquered death. He loves to work again.